If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open with me to the Gospel of Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter 7 again, and we'll begin in verse 18. Luke chapter 7 and verse 18, and today we're going to talk about being offended at Christ. Offended at Christ. Now, Christians sometimes struggle with doubt. We, we may have seasons of uncertainty in our, in our lives, in our walk with God, uh, times when we, we ask questions, is what I believe right? Is, uh, is Jesus really the Messiah? Is He really who He says that He is? Am I a fool to believe in God? And maybe you've struggled with seasons of doubt in your life. Maybe you're in one right now. You, you don't tell people at church. You may not even tell people in your family. But maybe it's something that you're struggling with or have struggled with. And the sad thing is, all believers deal with these things. But what's especially sad is many times we do it in silence. Because we feel like if I verbalize this, if I tell somebody what I'm struggling with, they're going to think less of me. They're going to think that I'm unspiritual. Maybe they'll think that I'm a, that I'm a phony. And, and, and so we don't, we don't want to verbalize those things. And I'm, can I just say something as an aside? If somebody comes to you and, and they're struggling with those things, don't look at them like, oh, you terrible sinner. I can't believe that you would do something like that. Because if they're opening up and saying those things, that's a, that's a, a, that's a, a, a time of, of transparency, a time of... I can't even think of the word, but, but uh, you're, you're, you're putting yourself out there. So be, uh, be sensitive to those things. But sometimes we do those things, and, and we don't want to verbalize them. And even worse, we think that God is going to be very unhappy with us, that he's going to maybe, that he's going to maybe uh, smite us, that he's going to be displeased with us, he's going to turn his back on us maybe, like he doesn't already know what's going on in our hearts, like he doesn't know what's happening between our ears. And, and, and so, so what I want you to do is I want you to see that, that if you are struggling with those things, if you ever have struggled with some, some of those things, you are not alone. Even somebody as great as John the Baptist had the same struggles. You remember John was a cousin of Jesus. He preached repentance. Many people came to faith in uh, Christ. They, 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 they came, he, he pronounced Jesus as the Messiah as the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world, he, he, done, he, he had done all these things. He even, he even baptized Jesus. And yet in our text, John is struggling. He's having a hard time with things. He's, he's struggling with confusion and with doubt. And he wonders, is Jesus even the promised Messiah? And as we look at this, I want you to not only pay attention to what his concern is, but also what Jesus' response to John is. So just to kind of give you a roadmap of where we're headed, first we're going to look at John's concern or John's question, verses 18 to 20. And then we're going to look at Jesus' confirmation in 21 to 23, and then his commendation in 24 to 28, and then finally Jewish complaints at the very end. So if you found uh, Luke chapter 7 and uh, are able to, I'd like you to stand with me in honor of God's Word. We'll pick up in verse 18 and read down through the end of this account. It says, The disciples of John reported to him all these things. Summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the expected one, or are we to look for someone else? When the men came to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? At that very time he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. And he answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind received sight. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor had the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. When the messengers of John had left, he began to speak to the crowds about John. What did he go into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? 
But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who are splendidly clothed and live in luxury are found in royal palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John, yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people and tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. To what then shall I compare the men of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children who sit in the marketplace and call to one another, and they say, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance, and we sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, He has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Behold, a a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, the first thing that I want you to see in our, our text today is John's concern or John's question. In verse, uh, in verse 18, the disciples of John reported to him all these things that had happened. Now, you remember what had just gotten through happening is, is Jesus at Capernaum had, had healed the centurion's slave. Then he went to a city called Nain, and on the way there, he ended up raising a widow's son who had passed away. And so, so, so Jesus had done all these miracles, and, and verse 17 says that news about what he was doing has spread all over the place. And, and verse 18 says that these, these disciples of John told John what was going on. Now, we don't know how, much, uh, how many disciples he had at this point. We don't know how, how much time they spent with Jesus. We know that they were acquainted with at least some of what he was doing. And part of the reason John himself wasn't there, probably, is because he was in prison. You remember he was he he had a short ministry probably a year or less and and all of a sudden he got all kinds of attention. He came onto the scene out of nowhere. He was preaching repentance. He was saying prepare for the kingdom of God. And one of the things that he did, you know, sometimes it's it's popular right now to talk about speaking truth to power. Well, John spoke truth to power, and it, it was real truth. It was God's truth because what had happened was Herod Antipas was in in charge in that area, and he took a woman to be his wife. The problem is that woman was already married to his brother. And so, so he had his sister-in-law as his wife. And, and John the Baptist stood up and said, that's wrong. That is sin. You shouldn't be doing that. And Herod had him thrown in prison because of it. Now, um, we don't know. We, we know that later Herod had him beheaded. But at this point, the disciples of John are still able to go to him and, and tell him what Jesus has been up to. And so they come with a simple and yet profound question. Essentially this, are you the Messiah? John the Baptist is asking, are you really the Christ? Are you really the Son of God? Are you really the Messiah? Have I hitched my wagon to the wrong horse? Have I put all my eggs in the wrong basket? Are you really the Messiah or should we be looking for another Savior? And I wonder, have you ever wrestled with that question? Because each person has to decide what they're going to do about Jesus. And what you decide to do about Jesus uh, is, is determined by your answer to this question. Who do you say that he is? Who do you say that Jesus is? That's the most important question that you can answer. Do you believe that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God? Or do you believe maybe that he's simply a, a good moral teacher? Maybe you think he's a fraud. Who do you say Jesus is. Now that question is of vital importance. It's of eternal importance. 
Because if Jesus is who he said that he is, and that is the only way to God, if you get this wrong, it has eternal consequences. If Jesus says, I'm the only way to God, and you reject that, and, and he is who he says that he is, you will spend eternity separated from God and his goodness and his, and his glory and his blessings. Who do you say Jesus is? Now, maybe you answered that question many years ago, and you said, you know what, Pastor, I've been a Christian longer than you've been alive. I've trusted in Christ for my salvation. I'm good with who who Jesus is. That may be, but maybe today, even even now, you're questioning, "Eh, should I have looked for another? Should I now look for another? None of us is immune from this question. we, We were reminded earlier of John's special role in salvation history, and yet here he is asking, are you really the Messiah? Are you really the Christ? Now, why do you think he was asking that question? Well, quite possibly, he did it out of despair. Maybe he did it out of despair. Remember, he is in prison right now. Surely he knows his time on earth is drawing to a close. I mean, we all know that, that each day we're, we're a little bit closer to, to, to eternity. But he knows the character of Herod Antipas. He is in prison. And as he sits in that dark, dank cell, it could be that his thoughts got away from him. Has that ever happened to you? You finally get to where you don't have all the hustle and bustle and you get away with your thoughts. And sometimes you start thinking about all kinds of things. And sometimes you can get into that pit of despair. And that, maybe that's what was happening with John. Probably given what Jesus' response was, either Jesus wasn't acting like John thought that he would, or maybe he wasn't acting in the timetable that John thought that he should. Um, and, and so maybe there was some disappointment. Maybe he thought, since I've done these great things for God, I've been the forerunner of Christ, I've announced him as, as the Messiah, I've said, behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world, I've done all these things, maybe the least that could happen is I not go to prison. So it could be that he's disappointed. It could be that maybe he was disillusioned. Maybe he had a wrong idea about the Messiah. Yes, he knew that Jesus was doing the works of the Messiah. He was doing these miraculous things. But he wasn't seeing the, the, the Messiah throw off the Romans like everybody seemed to think the Messiah would. And maybe he says, you know what, I'm, I, I see Jesus doing these miracles, but he's not having the political rallies. He's not building this political movement. He's not build, building a military might. And so there could be some disillusionment there. Whatever the reason or reasons behind the question, we see he's well on the path to being offended at Christ. Now, the next thing I want you to see is Jesus' confirmation. His confirmation specifically of his Messiahship. These men ask Jesus if he's really the Christ and notice his response. Look again at what, he, what, what happens. They say, are you, really the, 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 are you the one to come or should we look for another? Notice Jesus doesn't say, yep, I'm him and send him on their way. He could have done that, but notice what he did. It reads like he didn't even answer their question, but instead, verse 21, he responded with action. Now, notice these are many of the same things, the same signs and wonders he'd already been performing. But it's like he, he did these things that he has been doing, and he's saying, okay, here's what I want you to see, and he's drawing some lines straight across to Old Testament prophecy. Because some of what has happened... He's already applied to himself at Nazareth. You remember he went and he spoke at, at the synagogue in Nazareth, and he applied a text out of Isaiah to himself, and some of the things that are mentioned uh, in that text 
are being fulfilled in him right now. Look at verses 22 and 23 in your Bibles. It says, And he answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Now, as I, as I mentioned before, this is an allusion to two texts out of Isaiah. One of them is Isaiah 35 and verse 5, or verses 5 and 6. It says, Then the eyes of the blind will be open, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. Sounds like exactly what his ministry is. Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Now, we don't, we don't get this because we don't know Isaiah 61, verse 1. But Jesus doesn't quote the whole verse. Because he goes to the brokenhearted, and then whenever he's talking to these disciples of John, then he gives them the forgotten beatitude. Blessed is he who is not offended at me. And the reason for that, listen to the rest of Isaiah 61 and verse 1. The rest of it says, he, he, it says that he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and freedom to prisoners. Freedom to prisoners. You see why John may have been a little like, Jesus, I see you doing all these other things out of verse 1. What about doing the end of verse 1? Because... Here I am, I'm, I'm, I'm the forerunner, I'm prisoner, I'm captive. Where's my deliverance? Where's my liberty? Where's my freedom? And here's, where, where, here's Jesus doing all these amazing works for everybody else, and surely, maybe John thought, surely he'll do the same for me. Now the wording that's translated in, in our text here as uh, taking offense at, it has the idea of falling away. In other words, Jesus says, Happy, fortunate, and blessed is the man, the woman, the young person who doesn't turn their back on, who doesn't abandon their faith when they see Jesus doing something as he sees fit, not the way they see fit. Because here, here Jesus is, he's doing all these things out of Isaiah 61 and verse 1, except the one thing that John wanted him to do. Was Jesus in the wrong for doing it? No, he was doing exactly as he had the right to do and as he wanted to do. And maybe you felt like John and, and you felt confused or discouraged or disillusioned because maybe you think that God has abandoned you. Maybe you think that, that, that he's done all these things for everybody else. Surely he'll do something for you too. Maybe he's not doing things on your timetable, but he's doing it on his timetable. Listen, if that has ever been you, your situation, don't feel like a spiritual leper. Because all Christians deal with this. John the Baptist dealt with it. And listen, doubt, I, I want to I be specific here, doubt is not the same thing as unbelief. Because many times we wrestle with doubt. Doubt often happens when we try to wrap our minds around things, but we can't figure it out. Something happens and, and we're trying to take what we know has happened what we, and, and, and meld that and marry that with what we know Scripture says about God and His character and so forth. And sometimes it causes us to doubt. Maybe it's due to weakness. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Unbelief, on the other hand, is a willful rejecting of the truth. It's knowing the truth and turning your back on it. That's not what John's doing. He's trying to figure it out. 
And we, we see that because of what Jesus' response to what he says. Uh, we, we see that in, 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 in his response. It, it really reminds me of, of Psalm 103. Because Psalm 103, verses 12 and 13, it says, Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear, fear him. For he himself, and this is verse 14, For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are dust. And that's one of my favorite verses, that, that, that when I mess up, sometimes I just, I, I cling to the fact that God remembers I'm just a bunch of dirt. And, and as, he, as Jesus looks at, at John and what he's saying and at his situation, I think that he did this very thing. He remembers, he, he's, he, you know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So we've seen John's concern, his question. We've seen Jesus' confirmation. Third, I want you to see Jesus' commendation. His commendation of John. Notice I did not say condemnation. They sound similar, but they're opposite meanings. Jesus did not condemn John. In fact, he commended him. He affirmed him. He defended him. Jesus' disciples left. No doubt that interaction probably stirred the crowd because this was happening with a lot of people around. And no doubt, these disciples of John come. Jesus has this conversation with them. And no doubt there were people in the, in the crowd around them going, mm, shame, shame. I knew that John was, I knew there was something fishy about him. You know, yeah, you can talk a good game when things are going good for you. But now things have started going bad. Now he's turned his back on the Lord. And, and you, know, you know people like that, right? And so Jesus takes this opportunity not to say, you know what, guys, you're right. We should go after him and tell him how bad he is. We need to kick him while he's down. That's the Christian way. No. He defends John. Somebody as well noted that on the day that John said the worst thing he did about Jesus, Jesus said the best thing he did about him. He publicly defended John, lest any of them get the wrong idea, lest any of us get the wrong idea. So Jesus posed some questions to him. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to Ozarkian in it. He said, when you all went out there to John, you heard him out, out in the wilderness, and you heard him preaching, and there's revival going on, and people were, were, were repenting of their sins, they were, they were getting baptized. What do, you, what do you go out there to see? You, see a, you go out to see some, uh, a reed shaking in the wind? You go out to see a bunch of grass blowing? No, of course not. You go out to see somebody wearing fancy clothes? Well, of course not. P folks in fancy clothes live in palaces. He's, he's out there in a camel's, uh, camel's hair garment. He's living in the caves, in the wilderness. He says, what do you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. And more than a prophet. They recognize he was a prophet. Jesus says he was 100%. And he was more than a prophet because he had a special place in redemptive history. He was the one that was foretold in the Old Testament. For instance, Malachi 3 and verse 1. Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. That is talking about John the Baptist and Jesus. Now, once you get this, rather than focus on this moment of weakness, Jesus and, and the uncertainty that John had, Jesus affirmed him as not only a true prophet, but actually of one who fulfilled prophecy. And I want you to get this because 
somebody has said it much better than me. They said, don't mistake the moment for the man. Don't mistake the moment for the man. In other words, none of us is perfect. Each of us has feet of clay. The very best of us is weak. At our strongest points, we're weak. And when we see episodes of weakness in the life of another Christian, don't mistake that moment of weakness for the trajectory of their life. Because we see that, and many times, we have you ever noticed how easy it is? I mean, somebody could live a, a, a holy Christian life for 50 years, and then one time they mess up, and what's the one thing everybody remembers? The, the one mistake, right? I, I heard about a, a, a teacher one time that was writing math problems up on the board. And she did math and got the answer and got the answer, got the answer. And on the last one, she put the wrong answer down. And all the kids started to laugh. And she turned around and asked what they were laughing about. And they pointed out the wrong answer. And she said, let that be a lesson to you. You can have all these right answers, but the one everybody remembers is the wrong one. And that's the way it is in life. And, 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 and the best of us, we know in our own life that we have moments of weakness and failure. And, and we don't want somebody to look at that moment and mistake it for the, tra- the, the, the trajectory of our lives. When we look at people, we need to look at long term, the consistency of their life. And Jesus concludes this commendation with us. As, as we just kind of read it quickly, it may seem like a little dig at John. Because he says, John is... John is, is, nobody born of a woman is greater than John. He is top notch. And yet the one who's least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And we look at that and we say, that seems like kind of, kind of slamming him, right? But the, remember all of what he's saying. He's, he's defending John. He's, he's affirming him. So he's not going to then turn around and, and, and slam him. Now, a couple things need to be noticed. Obviously, like I said, he, he's defending him. Second, he is not implying that John is not part of the kingdom. Remember, he's preaching, telling people to prepare for the kingdom. He's telling people to repent, same as Jesus did. What Jesus is not doing is he's not setting the bar low and saying that the least of the, in the kingdom is here and John's even lower than that. What he's doing is saying John is up here and if you're in the kingdom, you're up here. He is, he's not lowering John, he's elevating those in the kingdom. It may be analogous, let, let's, let's just imagine if you would, that, that I lived many, many years ago. And I had, I had some physics students. And I taught a class of them. And I came to you and I said, I taught these five people physics. Everything they know about physics and the worst of them is Albert Einstein. Now, what would you say? Would you say, man, everybody's here, and Albert Einstein's down here. Is that what you're thinking? No, you're saying Albert Einstein's here. Everybody else must be up here, right? And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that, that, that John, who's the last of the Old Testament prophets, there's nobody greater than him. He's up here. As, as good as an Old Testament prophet can be, they're way up here. And if you're in the kingdom of God, you have advantages over that. You're greater than him, not because of, of something that's inherent in you, but you're going to be, you're, you're part of the new covenant. You, you have, you have the, the, the law of God written on your heart. You have the spirit of God indwelling you every single day. No one greater than John. He's up here. And if you're even the least in the kingdom, 
It's, it's an incredible privilege to be in the kingdom. Last thing I want you to see are some Jewish complaints. Jewish complaints. Now, Jesus likened the people of that generation, many of whom rejected Jesus, many of whom were religious leaders who rejected Jesus. He likened them to a bunch of spoiled brats, kids that are playing games. One group played songs. Maybe, maybe you've seen kids that, that mimic what they've seen. I've heard preachers' kids that'll they'll have a baptism with, with their siblings, or maybe they'll have a baptism with their, with their, their uh, action figures or, or their Barbies or whatever it is. Because those are the things that they've seen, the things they've experienced. And so these kids were having a celebration, maybe as a wedding. And the, they, we played the flute, and then they get their nose out of joint because then people didn't dance. And then they say, well, we played a dirge instead of a, a wedding. Not much different, we had a funeral. And we played a sad song and nobody wept. In other words, some people you're not going to make happy no matter what you do. And likewise, these folks, Jesus said, looked at John, said, that dude is weird. He is living out in the desert. He's eating wild honey and locusts. He's living an ascetic lifestyle. He must have a demon. He must be possessed. And Jesus says, then on the other end of the spectrum, the Son of Man comes, and he's eating and drinking, and he's, he's spending time with people. He's doing all these things that, that, that you would expect would be at the other end of the spectrum and would be accepted. And they say, well, you're a, a glutton and a drunkard. And what's Jesus saying? He's saying that, well, let me just say, they weren't offended at John and Jesus because of their diet. They were offended... Because John and Jesus called these men out for their sin. And when people confront us for, for our sin, we'll find any reason at all not to listen to them. We'll find any reason we can think of to reject what they have to say. To justify in our own minds reasons to turn a, blind, a deaf ear to them. But Jesus finishes out and says, But wisdom is justified by her children. In other words, the fruit that John bore, the fruit that Jesus bore in, in, the, in, in, in seeing Life's changed. That, that is validating the truthfulness of what they said and they did. Now, as we draw this to a close, I just, I just want to circle back around and I want to ask you, are you offended at Jesus? Are you offended at Jesus? Do you have questions? Do you have doubts? Do you have uncertainty? Maybe disappointment, disillusionment. Listen, we all have questions. Every single, every single person here who is a Christian has had to wrestle with some of these questions. And I'm going to tell you something that, that you know, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. God's big enough for your questions, and He's big enough for your doubts. Listen, I've been in church since before I was born. I've been a Christian for more uh, the, the majority of my life. I've been in ministry for many years. And I still grapple with stuff. Because when my ideas are, are challenged, when my beliefs are challenged, I have to wrestle with and I have to sort through and work through all these things. And, and listen, I don't have all the answers I wish I did. I've been making a whole lot of money. I've been giving out answers left, right, and center. But listen, we're all going to have things in our lives that challenge what we believe. We're all going to have situations in life that, that make us question Listen, I, I want to tell you that God's big enough for your doubts, 
But that's not a good place to live. You don't want to hang out there. And listen, if that is where you are, you're not alone. It's okay to seek out answers. But do it in the right place. Notice whenever John had a question about who Jesus was, he went to Jesus. When John had a question about who Jesus was, and he had questions about if he was really who he said that he was, he didn't get on Facebook and scroll through and say, I hope that I find somebody that's going to talk about Jesus and have a meme. You know, if you love Jesus, reshare this and, and, and God will bless you. He didn't say, well, I want to know who Jesus is. I have these spiritual questions, so I'm going to Google it and hope that God's answer to me is the top result on that page. I'm going to just read a blog. It doesn't matter that it's an atheist blog. Somebody who's, who's talking about the, uh, the, the flying spaghetti monster and all these things. I'm going to look to them because I bet they have the right answer about God's stuff. That's foolish. That's foolishness. If, if, you're, if you have these questions, pray and ask God to, to lead you into all truth. Go to trusted Christian friends, solid Christian friends. Because guess what? They probably dealt with the, the, the same questions you have. Especially Christians who have been around for a while. And they've had to sort through those things. Go to them and, and say, man, I'm, I'm struggling with this. Do you have any thoughts? How, how, do you, how do you square this away in your own heart, in your own mind? Get some, get some solid Christian books. Because Christians have wrestled with these things for, for centuries, for generations. And God has given some amazing minds to the Christian church. Draw from those things. Or maybe you're at the other end of the spectrum. You're not a Christian. You've never made a decision about Christ. You, you, you've not made a decision for Christ. Listen, it is the most important decision that you can ever make. What are you going to do with Jesus? Who do you say that he is? And I just wonder, what will your response be today? Because there's no neutrality with Jesus. Either you're for him or against him. No neutrality. Is he your Lord today or is he not your Lord today? Have you ever turned from your sins or do you still cling to them? If he's not your Lord today, surrender your life to him. Call on him today. Cast yourself upon him in his grace and his mercy. Trust in the Lord Jesus for salvation. Because you say, well, pastor, I'm... I'll just, I'll just hold off. Maybe I'll get it next week. I'll just hold off until such and such happens. Listen, you don't know how long you got. And I'm not trying to use some kind of a scare tactic. It's a fact of life. I heard recently that over 5,000 people die every hour. One of those could be us. That's a fact of life. It's not a scare tactic. One day we'll all stand before God. And in that time, what are you going to say to God? If he says, why should I let you into heaven? You're going to say, well, I listened to the sermon and I thought about making a I thought about commit my life to Christ. You're either for him or you're against him. Want to stand with me as musicians come? And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes.
and with nobody looking around, I just... I want to encourage you to consider the claims of Christ. If you're an unbeliever, you've never turned to Christ for salvation, do it today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you've wrestled with those doubts and those, that confusion because things didn't work out the way that you thought that they would and you prayed and then different things happened and, and then you felt guilty because you had questions and, and even doubts that came up. And you're not alone. The Christians that are sitting on your row, the Christian that stood in the pulpit, John the Baptist, each of us has had to wrestle with those things and do wrestle with those things. Doubt is not a good place to stay, though. Sometimes you need to get things nailed down. Heavenly Father, um, I pray that you would uh, speak to our hearts today, that you would guide us. And if there's somebody here who's, uh, or, or maybe is, is watching um, online or, or is going to watch this at a later date, God, I pray that you'd help each of us answer that question of who do we say Jesus is and what will we do with Jesus. Help us to answer those in ways that will please you. And God, I pray that you would help um, each person that maybe is, is uh, struggling with these things, the, the Christians who are, are uh, kind of up in the air trying to figure things out, I pray that you'd help them. And God, I just pray that you would do your will in, in this time. In Jesus' name, amen.